Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, February 16th. It is 10.30, and it is time for Bible study. Uh, We are looking at Revelation chapter 2, part 2. Last week we did Revelation 2, part 1, and I'm excited to tell you that there's going to be a Revelation 2, part 3, coming up next week. Uh, So I do this class also live on on, on Tuesday nights. It's an hour-long class, and last week we, I'm sorry, last night we only got through five verses, so we're going to hold the last section of uh, Revelation 2 for next week. Uh, But we have uh, five good verses to discuss today, lots of good stuff in here. It's Jesus' letter to the church at Pergamum, uh, Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. Uh, So excited to be going through the book of Revelation with you, and glad that you're making time to join me. Uh, And everyone who's watching live, thank you for watching live, and for those who are listening on either the Grace Abides podcast or the No No Shortage of Questions podcast, uh, grateful that um, you are taking the time to listen and to learn. And uh, if you have questions, please shoot them my way. Uh, Nick at AbidingGraceDFW.org. So let's jump right in. And good morning to everybody uh, joining live. Uh, Great to have you here. Uh, So um, we are looking at Jesus's message or letter to the church at Pergamum. Verses 12 and 13. And to the angel of the Lord in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I, I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is, yet you are holding fast to my name and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. So, so twice in verse 13, we get this sense that you are living uh, where Satan's throne is, and one who is killed among you where Satan lives. And so uh, Jesus, uh, John writing Jesus's message to them, has a clear belief that Satan is living in Pergamum. So let's find out a little bit about Pergamum. Uh, Pergamum was the political capital of the Roman province of Asia. And so it was the county seat, the the capital city uh, for the Romans in in Asia. And um, it was a place of culture, a place of education. It was a place of of religion. Uh, It had a library that uh, had more than 200,000 volumes. It was one of the great ancient libraries of the world. Uh, But it had temples to all kinds of Greek and Roman gods. Uh, It had a a temple to Zeus uh, and a big throne-like, altar-like dedicated to Zeus. Uh, And so, uh, Jesus, Jesus says that this place is a place where Satan's throne is and where Satan lives. So why, why do we think that Jesus said Pergamum was a place where Satan lives? Uh, there's a lot of differing opinions among scholars. Uh, so here's a, just four of those opinions. One, because it was a center of pagan religion, pagan religion, uh, it was because of the, the temple of Zeus. Uh, it was a place for the Babylonian priesthood. And because it was a political center, and of course, we've talked about in the past, at that time, the Roman government demanded worship. So, so it was the government itself demanding worship. And so any one of those four could be the reason why, or all of those four together could be the reason why uh, Jesus uh, is showing his two-edged sword 
to the to the Christians there, uh, saying be, because they live in a place where Satan lives, a, a, a throne for Satan, right? But despite the fact that they lived in such a difficult city, Jesus said, I am so proud of you and so grateful for you that you hold fast to your faith. You hold fast to your faith. Uh, to the point of Antipas, a Christian in Pergamum, dies as a martyr, dies because of his faith. He dies, uh, you know, we don't know how he dies. We don't know anything about him. This is the only time in scripture that he's mentioned. Antipas. And it's like, imagine your whole life is summed up in one sentence, in, in, in one half of one sentence, uh, and, and, and you are forever written down in, in scripture, right? And I mean, to, how cool is that? He's just this anonymous guy who is recognized uh, for giving up his life for the Christian faith. How cool is that? I mean, uh, would you want to, if you could have one sentence written about your life, what would it be? If you could have one sentence written down in a book about your life that people are going to read for thousands of years, what would it be? To die faithful, to be, to be faithful. How, how powerful is that? How cool is that? That the one thing we know about Antipas is that he died in the faith. I mean, I would probably want to be known, you know, I would want somebody to say, hey, good father, you know, decent pastor, you know, all these other things. But uh, what's most important What's most important is to know that he died in the faith. I think that's a great, a great tribute to Antipas, and I think it's a great thing to think about. If we wanted to have one sentence written about our life that others would remember us by, what would it be? Think about that. What would it be for you? Okay, let's jump right into the next, uh, next two verses. Verses 14 and 15. Right? Jesus says, you, you're doing well, and I'm grateful for your faith, but, but... Verse 14 starts with, but. Someone once told me to ignore everything said before the but, right? Is that true with Jesus? Do we ignore everything said before the but with Jesus? I don't know. I mean, it's still good things, right? I'm sure Antipas, that was an important thing to say. All right. But, verse 14, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication. So you also have had some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans come up once again. They came up earlier, right? The followers of Nicholas, not me, Nicholas, a different Nicholas, who led people into immorality and, and uh, uh, idol worship, idolatry. So what, what's going on with Balak and Balaam? Why? What does that mean that there are a few among you who uh, there are a few among you who hold fast to the teaching, hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak? Okay, so we got to go back to Numbers twenty-two. In Numbers twenty-two, the people of Israel are coming through the Promised Land, uh, or they're coming to the Promised Land. And Moses is leading them, and they come to Moab, and the king of Moab, uh, the king of Moab whose name was Balak comes to Balaam, this religious guy, who says, I need you to curse these people because they outnumber my people. So curse them. And if you curse them, I know they'll be cursed. And I know that we will be victorious against them. So Balaam says, all right, well, I'll come to you. He sends people to, to Balaam, says, I need you to come and curse these people. So Balaam says, all right, I'll come tomorrow. 
So he's on his way, and the, his donkey, he's riding his donkey. The angel, uh, an angel of the Lord is standing in the way, and so the donkey goes a different way, and the angel of the Lord is standing in his way. The Hebrew word for what the angel is doing is he is being a satan, ha-satan, a stumbling block, a, a, something, a hurdle, an obstacle in the way. Okay, so the Hebrew says he's a ha-satan, which is what we get Satan from. Um, okay. And so he just starts beating his donkey because his donkey won't go. And the donkey says, hey, why are you beating me? Stop it. And all of a sudden he can see the angel of the Lord. And the angel says, do not go and curse God's people. Do not do it. So, so Balaam goes to Balak and says, oh, well, I, I can only say what God will let me say. And so, you know, we have these different oracles and all these things. But what happens is, in, in Numbers chapter 25, this, that's Numbers 22, 23, and 24, Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3, says, While Israel was staying at Shittim, the, the people began to have sexual relations with the woman, women of Moab. These invited the, the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Thus Israel yoked itself to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. So, what we get is we see three chapters of Balaam and Balak, right? And uh, we don't really get in that an exact, an exact way in which Balaam teaches Balak to, to have the people of Israel become immoral, sexually immoral and, and become idolaters. But that's what happens. That's what happens in chapter 25. Uh, and so right here in Revelation, uh, when Jesus is speaking to the people of Pergamum, he says, Balaam taught Balak to do that. Now, and we know in, in Numbers 31, the people of God, the, the Israelites, were victorious anyway. Uh, but so the doctrine of Balaam that we're talking about is idolatry, the worship of other things, and sexual immorality. Uh, the, basically the same thing that, that we hear about the Nicolaitans, right? That the Nicol, the Nicol, Nicholas was leading people uh, to Jesus— Right, but also teaching them idolatry and uh, sexual immorality, and so it's not like it's not like they're not faithful to Jesus. It's not like they don't believe in Jesus. They do, but there's this other theology that's mixed in to Christianity, and this other theology says things like you can worship other things too, and you can have sex with whoever you want. It's not a big deal. You're all good. Do whatever you want. It's fine. Trust me. We're good. And um, that's not right, right? That's, it's, it's, it's watering down. It's, it's taking that which is true and adding something else that isn't true and, and, and making it teaching others and leading others astray through it. It's deception. It's deception. So um, when, when persecution or the fear of persecution isn't working, does Satan use deception to attack the church? Does Satan use deception to attack the church? Uh, John, in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, Satan is the father of all lies. Satan is the father of all lies. So Satan, Satan wants to lie to you. Satan wants you to believe lies. Satan wants you to believe lies so much to the point that you see the truth and you don't believe it. You see the truth and you say, well, certainly that's wrong. Because that's, that, that, that's so far from what I believe that has to be wrong, even though that's, that's the truth, right? So Satan is the great deceiver. So Satan, Satan then leads the church uh, into 
through deception into ways in which uh, that are not what God would have intended for the church. And we can see this throughout all of history, how the church has lost its path, how the church has lost its sense of mission, how the church has forgotten what they're supposed to do and who they're supposed to be. Uh, uh, And so we see how deception is a part of the church uh, and and how, I mean, when you talk about idolatry and immorality, idolatry, the, the, the desire and the to, to worship, uh, the desire for some human beings to have the power that includes being worshipped and how that leads to sexual immorality and how that leads to abuse of power and how that leads to uh, harmful and, and, and painful things. Uh, I mean, immorality and, and idolatry uh, are, are just as big today as they've ever been, right? We may not be worshiping Baal, but we, you know, there, there's so many other things out there that we do worship. Uh, and so idolatry and immorality, a problem with the church. So verse 16, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is coming with the sword of his mouth. So warning Repent, or they're going to face the judgment of Jesus, the two-edged sword. So in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we have uh, letters to, to seven churches. Five of the seven churches are commanded to repent, to stop this. Stop this. Stop what you're doing. Stop allowing this to happen. Stop allowing, stop tolerating this type of theology. Um, and, and, and it's important that it's written to a group of people, right? It's written to a community. Together as a community, repent. Together as a community, stop this. Together as a community, do better. Do better as a community. Um, So it's it's an important lesson here that we think of repentance as the act of the act of turning from one's sinful ways and becoming uh, a Christian. Right? Uh, uh, We have. The, the story of Zacchaeus and the story of the woman at the well in John chapter four about how they changed their ways and they came to Jesus, you know, the, they had an encounter with Jesus and, uh, and their life was transformed uh, through the working of the Holy Spirit and they became Christians, right? But there's still, there's still repentance called f- for Christians, right? There's, there's, repentance is a part of life. It's a part of, 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 our, of our lives every day. There is that first repentance, the, the, the moment of baptism, the time when we, uh, when we turn from our sinfulness and we become this new creation. But there's also throughout life times in which where we need to repent for the things that we've done uh, as Christians. So uh, an important lesson there. All right, verse 17, verse 17. This is the last verse we're going to do today, and then we're going to continue this next week. Uh, This is a good part. Uh, This is interesting to me. That anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on that white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. A new name that no one knows except for... What does that mean? Okay, so the one who overcomes is the one who overcomes false teaching, the one who conquers false teaching. And they receive hidden manna, a white stone, and a new name, right? The hidden manna is the, the perfect provision of God. It's the bread of heaven. It's, you know, it's this, this thing that God gives us, this, this way that God nurtures us and takes care of us. Uh, but in the ancient world, the white stone could mean a number of different things. It could mean uh, a ticket. It could be your ticket to a banquet, or it could be a sign of friendship. Uh, it could be evidence of having been counted or, or a sign of acquittal in a court of law. 
Um, I, I, I think it's, it could be your ticket, ticket to a banquet. I just have this vision of a newly engaged couple 2,000 years ago, and they go to the White Stone store looking for the, their invitations that they're going to send out for their wedding, right? And you got the, so here's the white stones, and here's the off-white stones, and here's the almond stones, and here's the taupe stones, and here's the round ones, and here's the square ones. I mean, just, I, I don't know if anyone else finds that funny, but I do. Just and imagine having to send out all these white stones. It's just, uh, it's, but it was what they did back then. The white stones, that's what it was. Uh, so, what we know, we don't, we don't know for sure what this means, but, but it means that if we have this white stone, it means we're invited, it means we're included, it means a place has been prepared for us. Uh, you know, Jesus said that, that, that I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you, and you will have a white stone to say that there is a place prepared for you. Uh, and, and on this stone will be a new name, a name that only you will know. Uh, and so what is, that, what is this new name? Is it your name? Is it God's name? Who knows what this name is? But, but throughout, throughout uh, all of Christianity, we are told about come the, in the waters of baptism we are made a new creation we are made a new thing we are no longer seen as a saint we are seen as i'm sorry no longer seen as a sinner but we are seen as a saint and so we have this new identity we have this new name already right we go uh, in, in baptism we, we you know we drown the sinful adam and we rise this new creation you know as a child of God, we are a new creation. We are a new thing. And so what the promises here is that in heaven, there is a place prepared for you. You have reservations. There is, you know, and, and this white stone with this new name is, uh, is your ticket in, uh, not, uh, Jesus is your ticket in, but it's, it's, it's your way of knowing that you can be confident that you have a place prepared for you. So uh, I think it's really cool. Kind of the white stone, uh, invitation, uh, setting a place set for you. Uh, so the promises of eternal life and all that that involves there. So verse 17, for those who conquer false teachings. So we'll stop there. We'll continue with verse 18 and the rest of the chapter next week, and maybe we'll get a little bit into chapter three. Thanks again for listening. Hope you're taking good care of yourselves and y'all are healthy and doing well and look forward to seeing you all very soon. And for those who are listening uh, on our podcast, wherever you may be, uh, I am grateful for you and praying for you and hope that you are well and uh, thank you for listening. So we'll close with a word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, uh, we know that there is deception all around us, those who would lead us away from the truth. Help us to always know your truth and to follow your truth. Uh, may your spirit always be with us, guiding us, helping us to see what is right and what is wrong. And we are grateful for the reservation which you have made for us, for, for our place uh, in eternity, which has been prepared for us. Uh, help us to have our hope uh, be with us through the midst of all the difficult times of life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. Take good care of yourselves, and we will see you next week.